He looks good behind a pulpit, doesn't he? Uh, the Lord willing, one day we'll see him preaching, and we'll be, I'll be doing the reading for him instead. Let's open in a word of prayer. O oh Lord, we now come to listen to you, Lord. I pray for your help to speak through me. May you get the honor, the glory. May hearts be changed. Lord, as we look at this text, it doesn't immediately leap out what it has to do with us. We see a pagan city destroyed. We see God's Old Testament people being told of that. I pray, Lord, you'll see the application. We'll see the application as your Holy Spirit moves amongst us. This we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So by way of introduction, I'd like to ask you, which of these following two scenarios do you think will be more spiritually hazardous to you? Scenario one. In England, Christianity becomes outlawed. Gathering together as Christians is punishable by prison. Flitic Baptist gets demolished for extra parking for the railway station. It is illegal to be a public Christian. Scenario two, you are given 10 million pounds. Which of those two do you think is more spiritually harmful? Prosperity or persecution? And yet, given the choice, which one would you choose? Turning to Isaiah today, previously in chapter 22, we heard about Jerusalem facing persecution in the form of a military threat. We read in chapter 2 that Jerusalem will suffer trampling and terror and battering and crying. We read of chariots and horsemen and shields and bows and quivers. It was a violent threat to which Israel responded foolishly. They didn't trust God. They faced the threat of persecution and they failed and they fell. But in today's text, we see a much more subtle threat. Rather than the sword of the warrior, here we have the seduction of wealth. Here we have the 10 million pound problem. That trial that most of us wouldn't even recognize as a trial, yet that trial which is so dangerous to us spiritually. Now this prophecy in chapter 23 is about the downfall of Tyre and... If you read through to the end, which Ben did, the eventual restoration of this great trading city. It tells us of God's judgment on a Gentile nation that is preoccupied with the accumulation of wealth. Can anybody think of a Gentile nation that is preoccupied with the accumulation of wealth? It's all around us. Tyre is all around us. But in addition to this, in this text, there is an implication to God's people, those people who are living in the shadow of such a world system. Now, Alec Moiter summarizes this threat as follows. He says, Egypt represents the power of the world pressing on the people of God. That's the persecution. But Tyre stands for the ways of the world in economic planning and commercial greed and so on. 
Egypt was the persecution. Tyre represents the 10 million pounds. Likewise, today, we are living surrounded by Tyre. We are living surrounded by a world system that is designed to, verse 23, store up and hoard profit and earnings. But we can take heart from the fact that this system will come under the judgment of God. And ultimately, this system will be conscripted into his kingdom. But until then, we must make sure that we learn not to trust in riches, nor to make idols out of wealth accumulation. Remember Paul's words, it is the love of money that is the root of all evil. So there are three points I'd like to draw your attention today. I'd like to talk about the dynamite of Tyre, the midnight for Tyre, and the daylight for Tyre. The dynamite of Tyre. Without a doubt, in BC 700, Tyre was dynamite. It was the trading capital of the known world. It was famous for its large port, its luxury goods, and its lavish opulence or style of life. Perhaps a modern-day equivalent may be Singapore, who, like Tyre, had very little industry or agriculture or, or mineral wealth, but they had a harbour, and they had ingenious people. Perhaps in Tyre's case, we would say disingenious people. And they set themselves up as a trading nation, and they did extremely well. And like Singapore... Tyre was very good at this. Look at verse 8. I hope you've still got your your Bibles open. I think it's page 707. Verse 8. It describes Tyre as this. The bestower of crowns, whose merchants were princes, whose traders were the honored of the earth. Here, Tyre is described in three ways. And I'm going to take them in reverse order. First of all, or last of all, we have their traders. And in verse 8, we read about their traders. They were honored of the earth. These were not the sale reps which battle to make an appointment with the decision-making makers of a company. If you're a decision maker of a company and you're busy with something and you hear there is a rep from Tyre come in, you drop what you're doing Because these are honored amongst the world. You know that on the deals of Tyre, rise and and fall nations. Second in verse 8, their merchants were princes. The Tyrian merchants had the wealth of a prince. They had the visible trappings of royalty. And they had the privileges that other nations would typically reserve for the children of kings. And third, and importantly, Isaiah refers to Tyre as the bestower of crowns. Literally, the Hebrew means kingmakers, a term that we hear applied in Parliament every time there's a a split election. In the ancient Near East, if you wanted to rule a country, you needed the backing of Tyre, any other country other than Israel, that was. With it... With the backing of Tyre, you would have the materials for your your smiths 
and your builders and your armies. All necessary if you're going to rule a country there. Without the backing of Tyre, your opposition will have the materials required for the smiths, the army, and for your builders. Now, Tyre may have started to use wealth to set up governments and to rip down governments, but it didn't stop with Tyre, did it? Even today, in our democracy, we rightly lament the anti-democratic forces of money when we have an election process. A couple of years ago, 2016, in America, there was a presidential election. Do you know how much money they spent on the presidential election? $2.4 billion. $2.4 billion. That same year, there are 37 countries in this, year, in this world which had a GDP less than what America spent on their presidential elections. And just like today's campaign funding, the price tag of the merchants of Tyre was not always apparent. They got the crown on your head, but if you did not play their game, they could take the crown off your head. They were the bestowers of crowns, the kingmakers. Tyre was dynamite. They were a powerful, profit-driven, prideful nation who would do anything for that pursuit of the bottom line. They promoted their version of the good life with their, their opulence, their, their money-burning life. They were the admired people. They were the, the celebrities, the Hollywood jet-setters that we look at today. Much like today's China, Tyre was an almost unstoppable economic power. But unlike China today, there were no other superpowers around to check the market forces. Tyre was it. They were dynamite. The, the Bible tells us they had control over Egyptian food, and that was very fertile along the River Nile, uh, Spanish metals, that's Tarshish, probably Tarshish. There was other arguments that Tarshish was England, but you can talk to me after that if you like. Lebanese timber, all big resources in that area. And every trade they made, they got richer and more influential. Tyre might have been dynamite power amongst the nations, but from God's perspective, they were sinning pagan, pagans that needed to be dealt with. It was midnight for Tyre, or midnight was coming. Now, turn into your text again, and we start reading from verse 9. We read about their downfall. The Lord Almighty planned it to bring down her pride in all her splendor and to humble all who are renowned on the earth. Till your land as they do along the Nile, daughter Tarshish, for you no longer have a harbor. Harbor gone. The Lord has stretched out his hand over the sea and made its kingdoms tremble. He has given an order concerning Phoenicia that her fortresses be destroyed. Fortresses gone. 
And we are not left to wonder at the cause of this downfall. We don't need to stare at the ashes of the ruined city and search for the reason. We know the reason. God himself has given us the reason. The Lord has stretched out his hand. It doesn't matter what world system you're talking about. In this case, greed-fueled capitalism. When God decides to bring a system down, destruction follows. Now, history tells us that it was um, the Assyrians that took out Tyre the first time, and 70 years later, it grew, up to, uh, it, it grew back up from the ashes. But eventually, it was Alexander the Great. And it's really interesting, if you like your history, Tyre was a, a place on the mainland, and then you had a little island just off the shore, and it was like a fortress island. You, people could not take it. So when the Assyrians came, they couldn't touch the fortress island, but they wiped out Tyre on the mainland. When Alexander the Great came, he wiped out the city, and he took all the rubble and pushed it into the water to build a causeway of which he took the rest of Tyre. An inconceivable military campaign back then. But it was not Sennacherib or Alexander who ransacked Tyre. The Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, stretched out his hand. And these mighty human generals, they were, they were just puppets in God's hand. Now, for us, we need to ask the question, so what? God decided to destroy Tyre, but he also decided to prophesy about it beforehand, which means this is significant. And not only did he prophesy about it, he recorded it in his Bible. So if you're a Hebrew person a couple of thousand years ago, you'll be reading this. And if you are somebody from Bedfordshire today, you're reading this, but there's a reason for this. What is that reason? Why do you think he did this? Israel, like the rest of the ancient world, saw Tyre as a success. We, today, look at the riches of Tyre and we tend to see them as successes. But this sort of success is A, tempting for us, and B, it can become idolatrous if it takes our devotion away from God. Jesus warns us in the Sermon on the Mount, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Tyre was devoted to money. Israel should have been devoted to God. We should be devoted to God. Now, going back in the Bible history, there are two notable cases in the Old Testament when the Hebrew people got involved with Tyre. And both times it resulted in sin. Lesson for us. Be careful getting involved with Tyre. The first case. You've heard of Jezebel, right? The evil queen who married Israel's king Ahab. 
She then proceeded to hunt down God's prophets and slaughtered them, apart from a handful saved by Obadiah. Where was she from? Her daddy was the king of Tyre. She was a, a Tyrian princess. Book of Kings tells us, he, which is King Ahab, not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jerobeam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal to worship him. You see that progression there? He already thought his father's sin was nothing. He was planning to beat that. But on top of that, he married Jezebel, a Tyrian princess, and then began to serve Baal, which was the god of Tyre, and worship him. Five chapters later, five chapters of some of the darkest moments in Israel's history, we have the summary of Ahab's ministry, if you like. 1 Kings 21-25 says, There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself. Look at the words. Tyre is a trading nation. Sold himself. At the end of today's text, we heard about prostitution. Sold himself. He sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. So if you get a proposal from a Tyrian princess, you're supposed to say no. Marrying a Tyrian princess for Ahab would have, viewed, would have seemed very lucrative. It would cement relations between northern Israel and this massive economic power. But every time we snuggle up to the world system, the devotion, the danger for God's people is that we could turn our backs on God. If you chose the 10 million trial, you're choosing the one you're most likely to fail. Now, the second example from Israel's history about the dangers of getting close to Tyre is a little bit more subtle. Please turn to me to 2 Samuel chapter 5. That is page 309 on the church Bible. I'd like you to follow this through so you can see I'm not making it up. Page 309. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 10, starting from. Talking of David. And he, David, became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent envoys to David along with cedar logs and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built a palace for David, important word next, then David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Don't stop there. After he left Hebron, Hebron David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem and more sons and daughters were born to him. I want you to see a progression in this text that warns us against following this world's infatuation 
with money, especially against allowing that agenda to set the agenda of God's people. Going through this text, David, if you read a bit before that, had been appointed king both by Judah, the previous chapter, and Israel. God has installed his man, and God's people had recognized it. And if you want to know the result of that, chapter t- verse 10, David became more powerful. Why? Verse 10, because the Lord was with him. Verse 11, Tyre, notice this, prosperity, smells a prophet and gets involved. So the king of Tyre draws close to David and helps him build a palace. Now what do you think the consequence of the king of a nation of bestower of crowns building you a palace will be? David must have thought, hmm, I've arrived. Even the mighty Tyre agrees I'm king. Verse 12, then, then David knew the Lord had established him as a king. Notice this, it wasn't the oil poured on his head by Samuel the prophet. It wasn't Judah, God's people, acknowledging him as king. It wasn't even Israel putting down their differences and reuniting the kingdom under the king. David, quote, knew he had arrived when the world system recognized him as king. That's about as daft as asking our local atheist society to choose our next pastor. God's people has always needed God's leading and nothing else. But David recognized that he was king only after the system, the world system, recognized him. And then we read on, still swimming in the heady waters of worldly success, verse 13. Sin, multiplying wives to himself, something forbidden by God to his kings. And we know the rest of the story. It led to murder, it led to adultery, it led to civil war, it led to disqualification from building God's house. And possibly it led to the corruption of his son Solomon, who did exactly the same thing in multiplying his wives, who also used Sidon and Tyre. Lesson for us. When we get too close to the world, when the objectives of the world start to squeeze out the ordinances of God, sin becomes desirable and God becomes distant. Back to Isaiah 23. 7.07. Why is this chapter in the Bible? Sure, it declares the glory of God in the judgment of nations. And that is a glorious thing to ascribe to God. But there's also a direct implication for us today. And I can think of three. First of all, don't allow the the goals of this world to distract you from the things of God. When Christ purchased us, we are radically transformed to a new life. A life where treasure in heaven should be more attractive to us than treasures here. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The single-minded 
pursuit of wealth has always been an anesthetic to spiritual living. Second, don't trust in a world system that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. A couple of weeks ago, John Ward gave a a very good message here, and he summed it up by saying, don't place your trust in things that God is going to judge. Don't trust the economics of this world. Don't worry about the economic fallout about Brexit. Don't look to Tyre for your salvation. Don't look to Egypt for your salvation. Trust God. And third, we cannot escape this world system. We do need to interact with it, but we must be careful. But it's not wealth or money that is the root of all evil, is it? It is the love of money. And when you interact with the world system, you must not allow it to wean you off your affections for Christ. Tyre, the premier representative of the spirit of this world back then, was destroyed because God stretched out his hand. Are you going to trust in that which God is going to destroy? But that was not the end of Tyre. Just as midnight gives way to day, Unbelievably, given their detestable anti-God lifestyle, their merchandising of evil, their track record of causing God's people to stumble, incredibly, this prophecy has a happy ending for Tyre. The last verse of this chapter talks of a a restoration. In fact, it talks of something more than a restoration. It talks of a, a cleansing for Tyre. Verse 17 doesn't get there yet. Verse 17 refers to Tyre being restored back to its old ways, likened to prostitution, willing to do anything for money. And if you're familiar with the the rebuilding of the temple in Ezra and Nehemiah, and Ezra tells us how Tyre traded hard for the wood to rebuild Jerusalem. Nehemiah talks about Tyre trading on a Saturday, again, getting back to the way of of corrupting God's people. A Saturday in the Old Testament was the Sabbath. You cannot trade on it. Tyre was tempting. Here, just buy a a discount, 50% off on a Sabbath. Tyre was back to its old tricks in verse 17. But verse 18 tells us something more than just restoration to their previous state of corrupt wealth. Verse 18 finishes his prophecy with a a complete cleansing of Tyre's ways. Verse 18, Yet her profit and her earnings will be set apart for the Lord. They will not be stored up or hoarded. Her profits will go to those who live before the Lord for abundant food and fine clothes. Now that Hebrew word that's translated here as set apart is kodesh. And Kodesh is normally translated holy. Their prophets became holy. And if you read in Leviticus, we are taught that the proceeds from prostitution is unclean. It can never go to the temple. 
So something has happened between verse 17 and verse 18. Verse 18 now talks of a tire that has been cleansed, freely offering treasure that they have kept holy, Kodesh, to the Lord. And the only way that can happen is that Tyre must have repented of its sinful ways and joined to God's people. Suddenly, their considerable trading talent got conscripted to the kingdom of God. Tyre, the horrible perverter of God's people, becomes Tyre, the holy provider. The enemy of God becomes enamored with God. The city of destruction becomes a city of devotion. Hundreds of God's prophets murdered by Jezebel, the daughter of Tyre. Thousands of God's people led into idolatry by the allure of riches and the corruption of politics. And God forgives them and then uses them in his kingdom. Is that fair? Is that fair? It's not fair. It's grace. And it's the same grace that takes hold of us. We who were enemies of God, we who were throwing ourselves wholeheartedly into the pursuit of pleasure, of money, of careers, we who were part of that Tyrian world system, enjoying life on the broad path, oblivious of the coming destruction. Jezebel may have murdered the prophets of God, but we murdered God in his humanity. It was Jesus, God the Son, who died to purify us. He died for our sin. We deserve the fate of Tyre, but God gives grace. And you may have lived an anti-God life, or maybe just a life that seeks its meaning outside of God. If so, you'd make a good Tyrian citizen. But Jesus, who committed no sin, died a terrible death on the cross. He died on that cross of Calvary to pay the price of your sin so that, like Tyre, you can be reconciled with the God who you have dismissed, devalued, or detested. Tyre was forgiven and redeemed and restored in Isaiah's prophecy. And the same Isaiah tells us in that famous chapter 53 of the forgiveness that waits for us in Jesus. 53, Isaiah chapter 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. We're Tyrian citizens and the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, for our sin. If you're living a life entire at the moment, flee to the cross of Calvary where restoration awaits all those who believe all those who submit to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Or perhaps 
you are saved. Or perhaps you have been purchased with the blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, but you've gone back to live in in Tyre, in or near Tyre. If that's you, take your head out of the pig's trough. Remember the prodigal son. Take your head out of the pig's trough. Come to your senses and gaze on that wondrous cross. Repent and make Jesus your prime devotion. Can you say the words of John Newton? Farewell, world, thy gold is dross. Now I see the bleeding cross. Jesus died to set me free from the law and sin and the world from thee. Let us close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us, Lord. We are in over our debts. We are surrounded by the advertisements of Tyre. We, every billboard we see, we, we, are, we see distraction from your work in the kingdom. Every, every hour in the office, we, 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 we are flogged to work harder for a world system which makes us tired to worship you. Lord, we are weak when it comes to resisting Tyre. This world, Lord, is single-mindedly pursuing the things of Tyre. I see two or three, sometimes four cars in every driveway, but I'm not seeing happiness. I see a, a wealth which I would never have imagined 30 years ago, but mental health is struggling. I see families ripped apart as the fathers and the mothers pursue wealth, long hours at the office to get money, and the children are crying. Oh Lord, help us. Help us first as a nation. Do not give us over to the ways that we want. Restrain us, Lord. May your Holy Spirit working for the church restrain the sin in this nation. Oh Lord, how will your Holy Spirit work for us if we too are acting like the citizens of Tyre? Give us the strength, the strength to choose you over money, Lord, because we can't choose both. Help us, Lord. And if, Lord, there is somebody here who's trapped in Tyre, trapped in Tyre because he is not yours, may, through the smog of riches, he view the crystal clear, the sacrifice of Calvary. May he run while he's still got a chance, grasping for your mercy and your grace. And may he yield himself to you, even tonight. This we pray. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.